I am Pallav Pandey. I am co-founder and CEO of Yulo. word serial sounder truly does not do justice to the guest of this episode of the founder thesis podcast pallav pandey has been at the forefront of the startup revolution in india for two decades now he is now on his fourth venture and his past ventures include nolarity which was india's first cloud telephony saas startup and fastfox which was a real estate tech startup that was acquired by india's largest real estate tech platform pallav is currently building yolo which has the ambitious plan of being the default platform distributing edtech products in India. Yuolo's thesis is that there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all edtech product and India needs thousands of affordable edtech products. And at Uolo, he is building the pipes through which these products will reach the masses. Stay tuned for this insight-filled conversation with a veteran founder and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app to learn from the best minds in the startup world. Where did you grow up? And, you know, were you in a business family? Were, were your parents doing jobs? Yeah. So, I grew up uh, in Delhi. We kind of grew up in a joint family, large family in Delhi. So, that is how it was. And uh, I guess IIT Kanpur is where you met your first co-founder, right? Uh, Ambrish. And that is right. That is right. Actually, it is kind of slightly bizarre. That both I and Amrish were actually in the same uh, batch in IIT Kanpur. Uh, but it so happened that for four years, uh, being in the same college, same batch, we never met each other. So we actually met in um, uh, Silicon Valley because uh, both of us were working for different companies uh, in Silicon Valley. And then, you know, there's about... Like from, from IIT, you got placed abroad? Yeah. Like how did you... Went directly. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Where did you get placed after IIT? So basically, it was like there was a company called NVIDIA. Uh, so NVIDIA was actually, now it is very big. But that time, it was very small, almost like a startup. Um, and they, it was like 2000, .com burst was just about to happen. Um, so in 1999, the company said, hey, there are no, no engineers left in Silicon Valley to hire. So why don't we go, go outside, uh, go find engineers where we can get, right? So somebody smart said, in India, let's go get engineers from IIT. So they sent a recruiter to do that exercise. And then output of that was me with maybe six, seven other guys. All of us went and joined NVIDIA. Um, so this was in 2000. And then Amrish was uh, working with another company called EFI. Uh, and uh, then we kind of happened to meet over there and then I came back in 2003 and he also kind of came back around the same time. We were doing different things, but then we kind of collaborated briefly, kind of became good friends. So why did you quit your NVIDIA job, earning big dollar salary, come back to India to do a startup? And those times, there was startup people didn't say anything. People said that I was business. It wasn't a word in the startup. Yeah, the word startup word in that is correct. So actually, uh, so I, I would, I mean, if I were to describe that, uh, rationally talk about that time now, I would say I just was very foolish. Um, 
and that is what everybody told me even at that point of time i just felt that i want to do something more than just work for this corporation and contribute towards the chipset to maine kaha india mein jayenge india mein kuch kuch karenge right ab kya karenge utna fuzzy tha but i the thought was that kuch meaningful karenge which will kind of make a difference um so i came back and i started a political consulting company in india <laughs> okay which would be on lines of what that kishor uh, i don't prashant kishor yeah this is like yeah this is prashant ha ah, prashant kishor okay yeah, prashant kishor 10 years before prashant kishor so so what i put so i was 24 years at that point of time the thought thought process was ki yaar aisa karte hain the all of this data that is now available on indian elections we can crunch that and uh, do a lot of smart analysis and then guide these uh, political leaders to be smarter in how they fight elections also in the process once you make the i think the big idea was that if you can make the indian elections more predictable you will have uh, people who are less corrupt or less desperate so uh, uh, i mean i was kind of very naive but the thought process was yeah the reason people are so corrupt is because the market is so unpredictable you even if you do very good work you are not sure if you are going to win next time so the only way you can take care of yourself is to be corrupt for the five years that you are in power but if there was a method to this madness if you could actually know what voters wanted how this whole you know lakhs of people are going to vote beforehand then you can do those things right and be systematic about it so we started this concept of voter relationship management worked with a lot of people uh and did that for a lot of years actually i did that for almost 5 years the, you built like a crm product for the voter relationship management you what what did you was it a software business or was it services yeah it was a lot, a lot of things it was uh, uh, i thought it was software and my customers thought it was services <laughs> okay <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah so but uh, so we and then eventually it kind of degenerated from a more socialist idealist thought uh, process to being more of a election war horse kind of a thing where people started using whatever little i understood about elections and data to work as a to make me work as a sophologist uh so what is a sophologist sophologist is somebody who can kind of do surveys and make sense of the election trends and predict what is going to happen so that is that whole science of uh, surveys is called sophology so so i ended up doing that um, so a lot of interesting work but i as it came to a point so you would give data on the basis of which the party would decide where to invest money like what are the actually that was the that was the original thought i i the thought was that you work with an mp and mla they have they got their own funds and then they have they, they have got their own influence by which they can get stuff done so you can kind of guide them that you know this is what uh, basis some primary research and a little bit of data analysis from elections that you know this is your voter base then the primary research says that this is what they want it could be a hand pump or a tube well or a school so do this work you'll get votes these are your voters so that was there were actually some good uh, good mlas who actually made their mla fund deployed basis the report that we had given eventually 
it came to a point where we became a election mercenary where we were used to uh, you know do the leg work for political parties they will pay us and uh, you know there is no no sense of purpose left uh, so i felt that i'm actually worse off than what i was at nvidia <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me something would you get paid if your client lost the election would they still pay you yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i mean um, mostly uh, mostly yes so then we did that for good 4 5 years um, then uh, something interesting happened then, then amrish uh, who kind of i'd met in 2002 3 and we were in touch all this while and then he finished his uh, mba mckenzie and all of that uh, then he was also like you know trying to find uh, an opportunity and he said hey let's do something in india uh, and i said yeah why not uh, let's try even because i also was at that point feeling that you know whatever i'm doing is not really as exciting as i thought it would be um so we came up with this idea for nolarity and um, it so happened that uh, so the what we built in nolarity was a cloud telephony platform and it was basically new at that point of time so using being able to integrate with telephony at a cloud level so without any hardware being able to do stuff with telephony which was revolutionary at uh, at that time right like at that this is 2009 this is 2009 right there was nobody else doing that in india uh, and essentially in india the way people would do it is through those epubix physical hardware like the epubix hardware yeah yeah so we basically replaced the physical epubix uh, thing uh, actually a lot of things that we see now uh, they did not exist so actually we were uh, actually we almost pioneered that so for example you know when you place a order on e-commerce website and now you get a call and you have to press one to confirm so that kind of thing we invented now uh, there are a lot of places where there are virtual numbers so you see a number on a classified but that number will kind of patch you somewhere else or like when you call zomato uh, and it will basically with some virtual numbers that you're calling and all of that right or like with the the taxi booking services the uber seems all of that right so all of that uh, we ended up inventing lot of that things uh, in the nolarity journey so that was kind of exciting but the first project was very interesting right so first project uh, i was still consulting um, the then chief minister of odisha navin patnaik and um, we gave him a report uh, which so we were doing a survey uh, so we did a massive survey for uh, the for the then uh, government and the idea was to figure out what is the strength of bjp versus bjd because they were always fought in alliance so people did not know what is the strength of one party versus another and basis our survey we kind of actually gave them a number saying hey if you were to split this is what you will get this is what bjp will get and uh, and then the reaction was that hey then why the heck are we giving them so many seats <laughs> so they actually broke in this is in 2009 they actually broke the alliance basis the work uh, that we had done and uh, when that happened Pat- so how did you do this like how did you run this campaign like you got voter phone numbers and then you would do an outgoing call and no no this is pre nolarity huh? this is pre nolarity so this was actually a lot of shitty like work but what we did was we we had made some technology back then 
remember that torch wala nokia phone that used to come so uh, we had a technology on that allowed us to run a app on that uh, smartphone so there was a java application that you could do and that java application what it did it uh, and this is pre smartphone world so in that what uh, we did was this java application was running and then there was a standalone bluetooth gps so that used to be there so now uh, what would happen is that our guys would go into this deep interior of odisha do a survey that used to open up on that mobile phone and the location of the surveyor used to get captured from the gps and then the gps over the bluetooth it will get transferred to the application and then you know over the 2g connection that data will come to us in delhi so uh, we kind of uh, had made this technology we showed it to uh, they based with this guy called is uh, no more now um, pyare mon mahapatra so he was the amit shah of uh, navin patnaik <laughs> so we, we sh- showed it to him he really liked it he said okay fine we'll do this right so we talked to about 17 18000 people in uh, odisha made a report and uh, you know the, the alliance with bjp got broken up and then <laughs> so that was like my career high in uh, political consulting and then uh, we pitched him an idea that hey we are also doing this nolarity thingy and what we can do is actually we can make a phone call to every single person in odisha and uh, what you can do is uh, we'll have a message from navin patnaik where he's explaining the rationale of why he broke up with bjp and we'll call up everybody <laughs> that is how nolarity actually started because uh, the initial uh, uh, you know the money that we got from that project became the seed capital for nolarity so till that time it was just a prototype Sambrish was still in the US at that point of time, and uh, then after we got this project, we executed it. We were still working remotely on, uh, you know, uh, Team Viewer. This is pre-Zoom world, right? So, so our phone calls and all of that, we coordinated this project, executed it. Then Sambrish left his job at McKinsey, came to India. Then we started building Nolarity more formally. And just for our listeners, uh, we interviewed Amrish, and that is episode eighteen in the stream. So uh, then, what? Like you, uh, you left this political consulting thing. You, yeah. So I, I, I eased out of it. Yeah. Uh, so I, so for me personally, it was all in. But when BJP lost, then BJP kind of uh, roped us in, said, "Hey, you know, we kind of got screwed in Odisha, but you work with us now." And so then my company was working with BJP extensively. So we did multiple states for them, but I had kind of moved out. Like I was all already looking to move out, maybe for uh, for about a year before that. And uh, then I was hundred percent into nolarity. Then I and Abhishek were building it. Then we raised money from Sequoia, and you know the journey happened. You know, most people think of a founder as like say Sanjeev Bhikshandari, who's been with. info edge for two and a half decades or more now why, why did you and you were a co-founder at nolarity probably significant stake uh, or i don't know in those days maybe you're yeah, we are equal equal partners yeah so i and amrish were equal partners um, so like uh, so we were building it together so what happened was uh, i mean we built it together for almost 5 years but came to a point where you know there was a lot of divergence of uh, opinion about how to take the company forward so we were not able to come at the same plane uh, so to say then uh, we realized that you know 
what were the options in front of you that uh, i mean what were those two different directions um so i think uh, two broad things were uh, around do we grow uh, nolarity as a enterprise business or as a smb business right so uh, what and so far it had been what enterprise or smb it was a, it was a, we were doing both at that point of time we were running two companies rolled into one and uh, strategically speaking uh, smb was the right thing to do because as a company you have a lot of power over the smb customers but uh, all the writing on the wall was that uh, smb business was unsustainable and the enterprise business is what will give you the money so i was actually pushing for us to do the enterprise business properly amrish wanted to do uh, the smb business properly so amrish's point was that no i mean with enterprise it will not happen what problem is that it was not happening with smb either lot of lot of dissonance uh, and standard chaos confusion uh, to a point where we thought that uh, you know we might be better uh, letting one person run the show so so yeah so that is what happened so amrish uh, remained i moved out uh, so so that is where the journey for nolarity ended for me and eventually it all went okay you know the company uh, ended up doing enterprise more <laughs> if that were a consolation prize but uh, it doesn't matter right i mean i think the together the outcome would have been much better we yielded the space to uh, other players eventually the outcome was not bad we got sold for 100 million dollars but we could have done much bigger um so but yeah now that space that got created is uh, done by our friend shifku in exotel so it's doing well okay 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 fascinating so uh, then what like when you decided to move out uh, were you able to cash out your stake or uh, you cashed out when the gupshap acquired nolarity that's when you cashed out nahi uh, ho 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 gaya ho gaya thoda sa ho gaya tha so so in the next financing round uh, uh, that mayfield came in mayfield uh, led the rounds and sequoia was there so it was a secondary that happened uh, so i could sell part of the stake then so that kind of least financially took care of me and uh, then i kind of went on but like i had already moved out um, so then uh, till that time i was on the board and then when the eventual gupshap deal happened uh, the balance got sold out okay 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 so w- what did you decide to do then like you are out of polarity out of work but you have money to experiment ha huh. so i zeroed in on two things uh which i thought could be generally large opportunities so one was uh, edtech and other was uh, real estate and uh, as i talked to people uh, on edtech i realized that uh, maybe the market is not ready so i actually chickened out of doing edtech i wanted to do edtech but i chickened out and i did real estate instead uh, which i in hindsight i think it was a bad bad call <laughs> was genuinely hard very very hard market so we tried very hard what what part of the market i mean real estate is so broad na? like yeah said so the online angle to real estate so what we thought when we got in we said hey the problem is the this whole information asymmetry brokers have all the information uh, can we and then all the classifieds are shitty because all, everything is like a uh, practically incorrect 
right? So what? So who has the right information? The brokers have the right information, and the brokers are talking to each other. Can we become a communication layer between the brokers, and then the brokers can do? And they, and then what? WhatsApp was kind of catching up at that point of times. So this is 2014-15 time period. So brokers were forming a lot of WhatsApp groups, and a lot of information was getting exchanged on that. And in contrast to the information, uh, like, you know, random information that was on classifieds, everything on the broker groups was actually correct information. So we thought, hey, what if we have an app, uh, which is the broker's app? So it's like WhatsApp for brokers. And all the brokers can chat on that. So while they will not disclose the exact property details, but we'll get to know uh, that which broker is dealing in what and all of that. Um, and uh, the app uh, went crazy viral in the broker community. So we had like a lakh plus downloads of verified brokers. Uh, so we could do a lot of, in like in a span of like four or five months. It was crazy. Uh, very heady times, 2015. So light speed uh, uh, invested uh, seed round. And then uh, in 2015, of course, we did not have any revenue model. And we were still trying to figure out. Uh, they, uh, while we were trying to figure out the revenue model, we said, okay, let's go raise the Series A as well because things are going good. And then the... And that was the boom area for real estate, right? Housing, no broker. Oh. Yeah, and so housing and all that was happened. So it was kind of real estate was still... <laughs> still looking it was a hot space at that time uh-huh. yeah actually i would say uh, housing was uh, had raised 100 million dollars like the year before i think 2014 and they'd already managed to blow up all the money in about a year so it was crazy <laughs> crazy times but generally like real estate was not as bad a word as it is now uh, and by the time 2015 ended the whole world turned very, very cold and dark, like what is what it is now in the venture space, where people just did not want to make any new investments. People wanted to know very definitive revenue models, uh, and we were like, "Oh my God, uh, we like we just raised a million dollars, and uh, we do not even have a revenue model. We'll die." So we uh, we pivoted uh, from uh, doing uh, this thing to. Uh, being a rental brokerage company. Uh, and the idea was that we'll become a full stack rent. Like no broker, basically. Uh, like no broker, but no broker was uh, uh, just an internet-based play. We were we decided to be a full stack play. I said, so no broker was just discovery. Uh, you wanted to manage the transaction. Just discovery, end-to-end fulfillment, huh? Yeah, manage the transaction. And in retrospect, I don't think that's a great idea. Uh, but that's what we did. We pivoted. We managed to scramble for some money. But what does this mean, managing the transaction? Like you would take uh, like 10 apartments from a builder. Yeah. So we left. No, no, we were not taking the apartments. We'll, what we'll, what the original idea was that we have, because uh, we have so much information flowing on our broker exchange on the supply side, uh, we will be able to contact those brokers and they will act as the supply-side broker and we will act as the demand-side broker. And for demand, there are any which ways, a lot of platforms out there. We would plug into that, get the demand, um, and then our guys will work with the broker to close the deal. 
right? So it was, we will give a little bit of thin servicing at our end. So that was really okay. Okay, okay. So instead of charging uh, for a classified ad, you will take a success fees like that. Broker gets that success fees commission of fifteen days or one month. So that some part of that will go to you. Success fees, yeah, yes. Same model, better service, and then whatever money gets made, we share it with the supply side broker. A lot of times, supply side broker will also get paid from the supplier, which is the landlord. That was the model. Uh, which is kind of a mirror of how the world works in the offline space. When I think about it now, objectively, uh, I think the, there were structural issues uh, in this market. Hmm. What were the structural issues? Think of it like this, that uh, for an internet player to win, it has to be better than the local guy that is out there. But the real estate as a business Think of a customer, he is looking to find a property in, let's say, Pinnacle Apartments. Now, the broker who is just having a small shop near Pinnacle is equipped better to service that guy because he knows each and everything about Pinnacle Apartments, which a, which a bigger company will never be able to do. So, so the question is that we are just uh, fooling around. We do not have as much depth in, on the inventory side that is required. So while we might overall say that we have got like 5,000 properties in Gurgaon, that doesn't mean a shit because we do not have that four properties in uh, Pinnacle Apartments, we only have like two. So we are worse off than the local brokers. Local broker will kick your ass every single time. Uh, and uh, then brokers being brokers, so brokers are, you know, the another very opportunistic kind of uh, a player and they will always try to cut you out of the transaction cut you out of the deal right cut you out of the deal every single time so and this is very different from other platforms where let's say there's a so i mean to be fair even cab drivers want to cut out the ola from the deal right so they do that but still as a platform there is a lot of dependency on ola uh, because for the daily bread you have to go back to ola Problem is the yeah yeah it's high frequency like you get eight orders a day yes it's high frequency real estate is a super low frequency business for the broker so broker is fine cutting you out and say okay next month dekhenge abhi to itko baat karte hain right it's a big deal uh, so so that is what happened uh, that was a structural issue and then it will manifest itself in different forms and shapes but uh, uh, so you cannot be a full stack player you can do what you like no broker uh, uh, no broker guys are my batchmate, and at that point of time, I think we had less appreciation of no broker at that point of time. But in hindsight, uh, I feel that you know the choices that they made were very correct because they said we will only do what we can realistically do, which is to command a very less fees for a for that much service of making the connection, uh, discovery and connection happen, and then you go figure it out yourself. Uh, and I think there's value to it. And then there's a very lot of pragmatism around how an internet business can possibly look like. So I think much smarter play. So I think Fastbox had bunch of learnings, whole bunch of learnings. I think we were lucky that we got eventually bought out by uh, Prop Tiger Housing Ilara Group, basically. Uh, so Dhruv was the CEO. So he had some plans around building a full stack business. Uh, so in that plans, uh, we fit in very well. And 
honestly we were not doing very well but we were lucky we got out huh? <laughs> full stack for rental you're saying like uh, or because proptigers are already doing sale purchase transactions right yeah so sale purchase they were doing and they already had a demand engine at uh, housing.com so what they wanted to do was they said hey you know we have a demand engine and we have a full stacks there are three basically markets in real estate it's a primary transaction market secondary transaction market and then there's a rental market so and then what you need to power all of these three markets is a demand engine which is housing.com so in in his scheme of things he said hey i've got the demand i have got a full stack uh, arm around primary and with fast fox acquisition i can get a full stack arm around rental and you know secondary will maybe between prop tiger and fast fox we will figure something out so that is how we got bought out so yeah so i kind of worked over there as the chief product officer for about a year but uh, yeah okay just another note for listeners uh, dhruv has also been featured on the show episode 109 so I worked there for about a year at uh, housing as their a uh, chief product officer across the products so we kind of had uh, prop tiger we had housing we had macar and then we had now had fast fox so quite a elaborate then they eventually got bought out by uh, real estate australia so the, but i don't think uh, they executed this plan right uh, of uh, full stack yeah so they started with it um, and they kind of started uh, post the acquisition they tried for one year but uh, what happened is that uh, one is of course i think there were structural issues that i described yeah 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 they discovered that also they they also realized that that uh, there structural issues so they closed that business um and also fundamentally there was a misalignment uh, with the vision of the investors so the investor the real estate australia is basically a classifieds business in australia so they understand this market very well which is the real estate media market and they said why don't we just sit down and focus on making housing.com the default destination for all the real estate traffic which is what the company focused on uh and it was it, it just made sense to cut down all the distractions uh and fast was fast was being one of them so they kind of eventually closed that business mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think they've executed well uh, last i spoke to drove he was saying housing is the market leader in terms of traffic Oh yeah absolutely i think uh, they've uh, executed very very well and it, the journey has been long right so like uh, dhruv himself started from prop tiger and then uh, managed to stay in the game long enough to acquire the right assets along the way and then keep executing i think said very very like i have lot of respect for uh, the way dhruv has gone about uh, doing it i guess at that level it's more about people management than anything else absolutely yeah mm-hmm. okay so then what next uh, you had some sort of lock in period there after they acquired you yeah it's there was a lock in uh, so i kind of uh, let's uh, had to cut my uh, right hand to free the handcuff <laughs> <laughs> oh, i like that analogy <laughs> so when i came out because i i felt so there was a dilemma for some time and then uh, it became clear to me that i should go back to my original calling from 5 years back uh, which was edtech uh, and uh, what had happened was uh, just a little bit of flashback so in in 2015 uh, when i was going through this real estate versus ed- education kind of a dilemma i uh, ended up uh, taking real estate but i 
made an investment as an angel into uh, into Yulo as a company. <laughs> Yulo was then being run by my brother Ankur and one of his batchmates from ISP. Uh, so they were doing this cool company, and I was kind of because I had kind of broken my head enough in startup, so I was kind of Ankur's bouncing board around how to navigate this that. So I used to kind of work closely with them. So a lot of things were uh, working okay. But as a business, it was not really taking off for them. So they spent, while I was doing all of this uh, fast fox thing, they were doing ULO, they were going acquiring schools. They were effectively like an ERP player uh, with a very thin communication kind of a offering. Uh, so they had about seven, 800 schools at that point of time. But the company was really not able to excite the investors or or kind of articulate what they want to become, right? Uh, yeah, this was a subscription business? Like they were taking us... Subscription business, yeah. yeah. Subscription fees from schools for uh, automating communication, like say, buses late today or... Not, not automating, it was like manual. So think of WhatsApp for schools. So they were selling WhatsApp for schools to schools. Like the school could release their app on the Play Store through which it could send notifications to parents. It it was uh, it was actually not even white labeled. It was uh, their own Yulo app that the school can take and the uh, children parents will download and then the school administration or the school teachers. So school teachers can send homework. School administrator could send this bus late hai and all of those kind of messages. Uh, so that is how it was. Okay, okay, okay. And uh, they would be the feature that teacher can send to all her students only. So she can select her class and send homework only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of nitty gritty. Uh, yeah, so all of this and a little bit of nitty gritty around uh, the fact that in WhatsApp group, all the numbers become exposed to all the group members. But in school setup, you don't want that. So on ULO, the same thing will happen, but you know you will not see other people's numbers. And schools love that. Uh, so, so they, but but this was one to one, or it was like a group that got created. Like parents could talk to each other, or parents would get broadcasts. Group, group, group. A parent will get uh, group messages, uh, but uh, the reverse flow was optional. A lot of schools did not want parents to reply. Uh, that you just hear from what I have to say. I don't want to hear what you have to say. That's like a typical school. Okay, okay. So you could. Change setting to broadcast mode or group mode. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So all of that. Huh? So that was there. So the company was not doing great. Uh, I mean, it was doing good at the fundamental level, but it was not doing great from in the eyes of the investor world. How much was it making? Like what was their ARR? Or... One, one, one point two crores maybe. Okay. Uh, which doesn't justify two ISP graduates doing it full time. Doing that. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. So, so Badrish uh, quit uh, the company and um, Ankur uh, continued to hang in there uh, and Badrish was a little unsettled for some time because his daughter was actually much older to Ankur's and she was coming in grade 10 and then he said, you know, this time like I need to seriously worry about the future and everything right? yeah. and post school. So he said, you know, I am folding. So he uh, folded. Uh, Ankur was also a wall at the back because no co-founder uh, or not able to raise money. Business is barely profitable, barely profitable, right? Um, so we had, what we did was 
besides moral support, uh, I ended up leading uh, a syndicate for him on Angel List and uh, then on Let's Venture. So we raised two syndicates for him. So raised some capital. And this was all through uh, the time when I was in housing, actually. Uh, so, but I slowly started getting more vested into the opportunity. Like I used to start, also I kind of had my own mental cycles available. Before that, there's too much of my own shit that I was busy with, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Being a founder is a full-time job, yeah. Being a founder in you know, Fastworks and then, you know, my own company was not doing great. So then I felt that, you know, this business is definitely exciting, but uh, uh, maybe it needs to be done differently. Um, so then I kind of met Ankur and convinced him that, uh, you know, let's just do the same business in a different way all over again. Right. And the way to do that would be that we'll create a new company, uh, buy you out, buy out this company and then raise money in that company and then start building forward from that point of view, a new strategy with no obligation to what we have done in the last five, seven years. What is uh, a syndicate? You said you raised a syndicate on angels. So, oh, syndicate. Like, uh, let's venture an angel list has got a lot of angel investors who are willing to make investments. But the way these platforms work is that one guy has to raise his hand and say, hey, I think this company is good and I am putting my money. And that person then convinces other angels that they should also put the money. So you kind of form a group of people and that is called a syndicate. And then somebody needs to act as a syndicate lead. So I ended up being the syndicate lead who convinced other people that, no, this Yulo is a good opportunity. I am putting my own money. You also put money. So that is what I did on Angel List and uh, Let's Venture and pulled some capital for Yulo. And this, uh, this syndicate lead has to like do a lot of calling and make the pitch himself or... No, no. So uh, what the syndicate lead has to do? These platforms take care of that heavy lifting. So the, yeah, so the arranging, uh, the, all the heavy lifting of finding angel investors are done by these angel list and let's venture. But when the presentation happens, the lead will have to share his thesis and the founder will come and talk about how the business is doing. So that is what my role was. Now, other question, sorry. Why this complication of buying that company out uh, with a new company and all of that? Was it the capable was messy? A lot of investors in the yeah because i think what happens is that messy because company uh, companies like five-year-old company a uh, lot of small small investors a lot of capital raised um so we had to clean it up because it was not investor friendly and then also there was a room that was required to be created for me to come and operate so because uh, I'm going to, so I said, I'm going to put my next five years, 10 years, whatever it takes to build this. And then there's a certain thought process around how we want to take it. So what we did was we created a new company as a blank company. Then we acquired Yulo's business on day one in our currency, our, our stock of the new company. And then we convinced Omidyar and Bloom to come and invest in this uh, company on our, uh, our new management team. Um, and a new direction that we want to take this company. So they can kind of came in. Bloom was with me in my previous company. So there was a little bit of comfort there. And uh, for Omidyar, they, uh, they had a belief in this space. They believe that this is an interesting market. So both of them came together, they put in some money, and in 2020, we could uh, execute this plan. And then that is how the journey of what we call as 
Yulo 2.0 started. So the current company is um, uh, that I'm uh, co-founder and CEO of is actually we call it still called Yulo, but it in reality it is the Yulo 2.0. Mm. Okay, okay, fascinating. So, uh, what was your pitch to Bluevin over here? So, uh, the pitch was very simple. We said the future of schools is going to be different, where you know these schools will have a platform that will not only help them do stuff inside the school, but will also contribute towards a lot of learning products uh, that will be there on that platform. And the reason that platform should exist is because there are now smartphones in the homes of people and the learning can continue to happen in the homes, right? So you can, let us say, if you were taught about the solar system uh, in, in a grade five in a school, then you can watch a small video on solar system at your home on your parent's smartphone. And, but you need a platform for that to happen, right? So a platform should be able to send that content and then you should, uh, maybe that content itself was available on that platform and the teacher just selected and sent it and stuff like that. You could have people learning English, doing math practice, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so that is what we want to create, but we want to start with going to a lot of schools. Uh, and... Um, that platform should be there and maybe it will just start by looking like a plain simple ERP but that is the starting point it will go into the learning uh, zone as well so that was the pitch it was quite fuzzy but uh, uh, you know they wanted to do this uh, so they were excited about what it could be so that is how the journey started is there a global comparable company which does something like this <laughs> no there is not uh, there is not because in US there is it right like uh, either companies are doing ERP or they are doing content like the, the combination of ERP plus content uh, I don't think there is any yeah so ERP plus uh, content combination is not there so in that sense it's like the Narsimha of the right so it's half man half animal kind of a thing uh, but uh, we been but like the hypothesis was at least for us that in India, this is this avatar is what is required uh, because um, there is a because you know if you look at globally, the market in India is very different than rest of the world. Where there is public schooling system in India, forty percent of the kids go to a private school, and this is the creamy layer of India, or like you know a layer that has got any cream uh, is going to a private school actually in India, and uh, they behave very differently. Um, than how the U.S. market works. Uh, the decision-making will happen at a school-by-school -school level. And once they sign on to a platform, they will want to do everything on that. Uh, so going, getting inside the school is going to be the single biggest bottle. That is why the market is different, and then possibly the solution should also be different. That was our pitch at that point. Okay, okay. So, <clears throat> like, uh, I guess in the U.S., uh, they would be using tools, like, say, I think Kahoot is one, and there are uh, others. Kahoot is there. There's a company called Power School, which is the biggest ERP player. So it's valued at about $6 billion uh, listed company. But they only do ERP. They do not mess around with learning. And then you have learning companies. Huh? Kahoot is like a learning company, right? Like that's more on... Uh, Kahoot, huh? Kahoot is a little bit of like learning company because they work with the teachers on the quizzes. And then they have a lot of other uh, learning programs. Like a, they have a math program now. They have an English program now. So it's a... It is not an ERP company, 
but uh, interestingly kahoot has recently acquired a us company called clever which actually which is erp uh, which is a little different from erp but it is more in the erp realm so clever is a school sso company uh, so it kind of sso is a, what is sso secure sign on single single sign on right so single sign on okay so what 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 clever allows people to do is let's say if you think about a school or the school needs whole bunch of other edtech companies to come and plug into the school but the problem is every single company has a problem that the child account should get created but for that you need to interface with the erp and stuff like that so clever sits in between and it allows the ERP login that would be there in PowerSchool to talk to a Dragon Math solution via Clever, and then Clever I think also has a little bit of their own login management. So if you do not have a ERP, I think even then it works. Um, so Kahoot is becoming now a similar to Learning Plus utility space, which is what we are building. And Learning Plus Admin. Yeah, in India. Yeah, but. But everybody started from a very different point. So there is, of course, Lead School in India, which is uh, working with schools, but more on content side, not on the admin and ERP. Like Leads thesis is also a little bit like that. I will give you everything that you need. So I will give you a, a academic ERP. So not necessarily the. Uh, managing the school and the fees kind of a erp but i'll give you an academic erp and i will give you uh, every single thing so they will manage the report cards and stuff like that uh, attendance i'll give you an app and all the content so there will be digital content and then of course i'll give you my books uh, plus i'll give you smart class uh, physical team and and lesson plans and also that teachers can teach easily every single thing so it's so basically a le- learning company with a little bit of erp offerings So I would say, Lead School is also trying to be that everything player, but starting from an academic world, and we are trying to be the everything player, but starting from a uh, utility world or a ERP world. And so your thesis is that India is an everything player market. Uh, like for that for is schools, the kind of... for schools, yes. But I think when you also try to be an everything player, you have to figure out. what is it that you will do and what is it that you will let other people do as in for example lead will say that if the child has to learn maths it has to be the maths that i am giving right uh, but what our approach is that uh, you know there are different people require different kind of maths programs and different schools will find some different maths program relevant for them and that decision is best left to the school so let them have whatever math program that they want but a part of that math program should happen on our platform so we want to be a, a platform company in this market which and that platform grows both ways right it grows inside the school utility space so it starts capturing the fees attendance report card communication of the school so that creates a lock in inside the school that the school is not dependent upon you and then uh, it also grows on top where let us say all these other learning programs that the school is having uh, it powers that 
to extend in the after school space the schools as we know are going to extend in the after school hours so the way to think about it is that school as a business was always in a box and that box was a space and time box so the school could only operate in the school premises during what we know as the school hours but any any local business wants to expand right wants to grow so the way school will grow is when it goes outside of this box and in covid the schools uh, have realized that they can actually operate in the after school hours they can operate when the child is still at home but what they need is a platform to be able to operate there right and that platform was zoom at that point of time but actually zoom is not really designed for the school so you need something else right so something that can help the school let's say the school wants to do some extra classes they should be able to do seamlessly because all the children are there that app is with the children the scheduling and all everything happens seamlessly if there's some digital content that these teach students need to consume in the after school hours that should happen seamlessly if the children need to improve uh, uh, let's say their maths it should be simpler to do that because the questions are available and then they can answer those multiple choice questions and all of that on the same app so that that digital infrastructure is what we think is required as the schools become evolve to be the schools of the future they need an infrastructure and that infrastructure comes from us okay fascinating so uh, this needs a lot of investment in content or are you looking at aggregating content from multiple sources yeah so people need content but uh, it is beyond the capacity of any one person to address the content need of the market this market is going to be perpetually fragmented <laughs> and the reason for that is also that uh, it the fragmented content market is required for schools to be able to differentiate themselves with their neighboring school right uh, so if everybody is using same content then this practically no differentiation left so different it's it's in interest of the schools to pedal different variants of pedagogy say oh we do oxford maths oh we do this that right so so schools will keep doing that and that is how the plus teacher creativity like teachers want to be creative they don't teacher creativity yes so teachers will say uh, i will do we'll let's follow this let's follow that all of that chaos will always be there in the school market um so the content market will remain fragmented um so it is best left for uh, existing content players or for that matter even new content players to come and create content because content will remain a niche play there will be good profitable companies coming out but it will not be a giant internet com- company coming out of that market so we think that all of these content companies need to have digital extensions digital exercises uh, that run on a platform and not in some stand alone app as in how many apps can a parent have it will not have a separate math app and a english app and all of that so you need one platform where this where a digital version of that content will also be there and either these publishers will create it or some other newer vendors will come they will tie up with the publishers and something new will get created but it will run on a platform right and that platform is something that the teachers use the school uses uh, 
and you know it, the, the platform that connects everybody, that platform is what Yulo wants to be. So, uh, who are these uh, content creators that you're talking about? Are you talking about like say a Pearson, Eschan, uh, these kind of publishers, or like a Qbat, like these startups uh, which are in these? I think both will converge. I think the both. I think both of these worlds will converge. Right now, we look at these two worlds as very different worlds. One is because one operates in the school market and one operates in the after-school market. But uh, we think that the school will extend itself beyond the school hours. So the school players will also want to flex their muscles in the after-school market. And the good thing, the structural advantage of the school players is that they're aligned with the school. We have launched three programs of our own. Two are launched, one is in the works. So what we did is uh, we've launched a English speaking program, uh, which fits into the school system. So there are two periods that the teacher will take in a month uh, to teach students about how they can speak properly in English. But then in the after school hours, the child will practice English speaking on our on the Yulo app. So the structural problem in the market was that there was not enough time available during the school hours for every child to speak adequately. And because they were not speaking adequately, they were not increasing their English fluency. But this problem can be sorted by technology and there's enough time available. There's a hardware available at the school, uh, at home. Children can use that. But it has to fit into the, that it should come out of the school. So the, we have got this, we've launched this one program. Then uh, there's another program that we have launched, uh, which this is a company that we acquired actually. Uh, it's called Techie. Uh, that is a computer science curriculum. So that replaces the existing computer science curriculum in the school. And we uh, children are able to do uh, learn Python and block programming inside the school, right? And then they can go home and they continue to build on the project that they were doing inside the school. So to give you a contrast, so you, on one end, you have companies like White Hat Junior. They will, they will have 800 rupees per hour to teach the child block programming. We are able to deliver that, including the physical book, including the teacher training, in 800 rupees per year. And you said three products, right? English, coding. The third and the third one, we are still, it is in the works. We have not launched it, but that is around maths. So we are doing a maths uh, program that is uh, basically uh, a book and a digital program. Uh, and the idea is that all of these three programs, we kind of sell it enough, show enough traction for all of our uh, content creators to realize that this is how it needs to work, right? In the school and after the school. And then we let them do all of the other content development in the world that needs to be done. It gets them by them and not by us. Amazing. Okay. So <clears throat> this is essentially a, uh, a way for the school to upsell more stuff. Like the English speaking course is not something which a school will give for free to students, but it will add something to the fees. So maybe you are charging 800 or, or something, whatever. So they will... School will add a little bit on top. Yeah. Absolutely. That is how it works. Okay, 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 okay. So therefore, it is not a cost center for a school anymore, which 
would be the problem with most ed techs are cost centers. Uh, like most ed techs who are selling to schools are essentially a cost center for a school where they have to pay a subscription. This becomes a... So it's a profit center for... It's a profit center. Profit center. Amazing. 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 Okay. And so uh, you would do like both the teacher training, uh, get the teachers equipped, provide them with the books if needed and the LMS would be on only like the, the course cu- curriculum. And this would be like a mix of during school, some work, some work uh, on their own after school or after school also can be teacher guided. So uh, I think in the way we imagine the world, uh, after school could also be teacher related because we think that the school products and school services both will go outside of the box that the school is in right now. But so far, uh, we have uh, not taken the teacher out of the box. We do that very rarely, like sometimes uh, that does not happen on our two products, like uh, the techie and speak products that we have. It does not happen there. Uh, we want, maybe we'll try it out. There's also a lot of change, right? So the teachers also are not willing to work beyond the school hours and all of that. So it's a, it's a complex ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they also need to have some more incentive. like Yeah, so now they have to have incentives. So then the school should be willing to increase their salary a little bit. So I think some of these things uh, will happen automatically as the market, you know, transforms into the new world. Uh, what we need to do is uh, do the absolute minimum uh, because, you know, if you try to do too much, you will burn yourself out without making any change. So do the absolute minimum and uh, make this change happen. So once enough schools are doing it, these models will naturally figure out, right? So think about it, right? If the, the school is going to make money in the after-school hours and if a teacher is playing a role on it, of course the, uh, she'll get compensated. But if I were to go and preach it today, you know, the buyers might not be there. So I, I'm kind of only doing stuff which establishes the paradigm uh, and, uh, you know, these things will automatically evolve. Okay, okay, fascinating. So, essentially, in the long term, the tuition market is something which the schools could take a pie out of that also. Like, parents anyway send kids to tuitions. So, instead of sending to tuition somewhere else, the school is only upselling tuitions uh, to the uh, captive audience which they have of parents. And the trust is already there. Okay. Okay, amazing. Tell me the product journey. So you initially acquired the existing Ulo product, which was just a like a more sophisticated version of WhatsApp. Uh, so from there, you know, tell me the stages the product has gone through. Yeah, quite a lot of transformation. I think everything that was required to work was working because there were about seven eight hundred schools using it, but it was very monolithic. So it was not thought of as a platform. It was a single-use case product, basically. A single-use case product, very monolithically designed. Then what we ended up doing was uh, we uh, started reimagining it. So to a point where, uh, uh, but we had to kind of continue giving support to the older uh, version of it. So all the new stuff that we kept building on. um, So we said, hey, let us see if we can get the mind share of the students in the after school hours so there is a property that we developed which uh, allowed children to uh, spend time to whole bunch of things do hobby classes this that this was not offered by the school 
but it was happening in the app that the school was offering. So we kind of we created that. Okay, like a marketplace for... Uh... Marketplace kind of thing. But we said, you know, keep it free. The idea was not to make money out of it. Uh, the idea was to establish a behavior where children spend time on the, on the in the after school hours on a digital platform and and for us it was also good that covid had happened so people had the time and to spend on our platform so that we all built out uh you you raised your funding pre covid or during covid that bloom a bit pre 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 covid how much was that the 3 3 million dollars what happened was that we got a commitment pre covid but then covid happened uh and then because of covid it got delayed by a few months uh so we actually got the money in bank only in uh, october 2020 so that is but what were you doing in that period till october like you continued to build through your own funds sir so yeah yeah that is what uh, happened uh, so we kind of kept so what happened was that you know 1.0 was having this nice sweet prop like you know uh, almost break even kind of a journey and then uh, we basically put accelerator on that so the burn increased we started getting some high quality people uh, and then covid happened uh, but uh, for, we were fortunate to kind of the things fell in place so by the time uh, we were completely out of money and it came to a point where uh, it also was hard for us to sustain <laughs> in our individual capacity we got the round close so so that happened uh then in terms of product journey what because of covid there was a lot of uh, nonsense stuff which was not required to be done but we had to do it because schools started asking for it because uh, schools had to operate in an online environment and uh, so they said hey can do you have online classes on your platform it was not planned to give you online classes but we had to create that we had to create flows for whole lms online classes means like a zoom like a the video conferencing like a zoom like a zoom integrated on your platform actually so problem in school is not the zoom the problem is that how did you scheduling around zoom access control it access control it and stuff like that right so then we had to kind of go solve that problem for school uh, then there were a lot of schools that realized especially the lower end of the spectrum they realized that you know synchronous learning is something that we cannot achieve because like there is one device at home and then two children who need to study so the only way this can happen is uh, in a asynchronous fashion so we will send videos and the whatsapp does not let you send large enough videos so we'll send it on your platform and then the people will look at that and then there will be some homework workflow where children will do the homework on their notebook take photographs and submit that and all of that so all of that stack we built in then people said we also need to have assessments so we built assessments also <laughs> lot of this became actually useless after covid by the way uh, but it still fits in our end game kind of a situation so what was hmm. yeah because for, for running the tuition classes like all of this will be required if a school was yeah 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 absolutely right so uh, so yeah so that is what happened for good one year uh, in the company also i think what happened internally for us is that market was so hot uh, the venture market that just scrambling for engineers was very hard so so our and then everybody is working remote it was a mayhem 
uh, so the, our market was moving very fast uh, because of COVID. Schools were all impacted, um, and we had a hard time hiring people. There's an ed tech hiring boom. Yeah, ed tech hiring boom, and we would uh, somehow manage to stay afloat, honestly. Um, and then post, as the COVID started to settle down, uh, we could flesh out our uh, own uh, uh, platform offering. So we could kind of migrate to new new platform. Um, kind of clean up all the user flows so that it becomes very modular. Uh, everything became microservice-based, uh, so we could actually uh, flesh out uh, things out of it. We built a quizzing platform on the, where you know uh, you can have, let's say, tomorrow publishers coming in, and if they have uh, digital quizzes to have, they can kind of every single quiz, like you know. It's like typically people, when they make quiz, they will always have that convenient account to the style, right? Multiple choice uh, question. But problem is that it is boring, right? For a child, you need to do different stuff. You need to drag and drop, sometimes fill in the blanks, sometimes you have to not give him four options because children are great at making random guesses and learning does not, does not happen, right? They have to think harder and write something, right? So all of those formats we built out uh, on the platform. Uh, we started deepening our own. Uh, so these are like authoring tools, basically, like uh, so that these are authoring authoring tools. Yeah. So we kind of so one is authoring, and then second is also so authoring on the side of creation, and also on the side of consumption. Uh, so because the children will actually do this stuff, so both will happen on our platform. So authoring will also happen, and then consumption will also happen. So we started from communication. The issue with communication is that it is quick to get in but it is not sticky enough. Uh, so we said, okay, let's build fees, let's build a report card. So some of these more commonly used modules, we started building. So we consciously stayed outside of the ERP trap. Uh, and we said, uh, you know, the one way to do that is, because what happens is that customers are demanding. So they will ask for different things. And then you have to know when to say no. To the customer. Uh, so what we did was uh, we said, let us burn this market, <laughs> this profit pool that is there as an ERP company. Uh, we started taking zero money for the ERP solution. We said, uh, we will not touch this money because if we touch this money, you will hold us accountable uh, to giving you some random feature and all our grand plans of evolving into a platform will get compromised. So we uh, we burned that money as in uh, that profit pool, uh, and just focused on building good enough solutions that work for ninety ninety five percent of the schools, and ignore the top five seven percent of the schools who are very demanding. Okay, but what else is left? If you are doing uh, academic performance, which is like report cards, and you are doing fee collection also, right? So what else is left? In so I'll give you example. Uh, so. And this is like the laundry list of ERP companies. So, employee, teacher uh, attendance, right? Teacher payroll pay management. Then you have things like uh, library management, uh, school uh, in a physical stock management. We said all of that shit we are not going to do uh, because uh, you know it's that is not where we are really adding value. So we stayed away from that. So we have few modules, uh, very, very targetedly, uh, 
we have fees, we have attendance, we have report card, and we have got uh, communication. It's four models. That's that's what we stick. Okay. And do you earn something from fees, like a percent, like a payment gateway charge or something, or it's negligible? No, we don't. Uh, we don't make money from there. Actually, there's a little bit of opportunity people are pursuing around fee financing. So that opportunity is there, uh, but uh, we thought that you know, if we succeed in what we are trying to do, then fee financing also will be able to do. <laughs> so I'll tell you what is the fee financing opportunity and why it is a little bit complex in our market. So fee financing opportunity is that uh, schools charge fees quarterly, and the parents earn monthly. Right. So you can, if you can convert the quarterly fees into monthly fees, people are fine because it aligns with the salary cycles. And then therefore there's a financing opportunity. But for that to work out, your parents should be credit worthy. Yeah, yeah, you need to do risk underwriting. Right. So now when you go to mass market of India and in the market that we operate, so we get about 400, 500 schools a month uh, on the platform that we add. So we are sitting at about 8,500 uh, schools right now. Uh, so uh, the way uh, it works is... Uh, uh, these are mass market schools. The fees would be sometimes like uh, 1,000 uh, rupees a month. The parents are not very creditworthy. So if you start offering uh, things, the uh, you know a lot of times parents are like the civil score and all will not. So a lot of parents will get rejected by a global player. Uh, so if you want to play this opportunity, you need to work with very local NBFCs who are comfortable lending in Balia. Right. Uh, we have got schools in Balia. Uh, but uh, uh, if you want a Bombay-based NBFC to do underwriting for these guys, they will not underwrite. So uh, how do you acquire schools? Uh, like you said, 8,500 schools you've acquired so far. What is the go-to market? This is all uh, our Nolarity learnings coming back. Uh, so back in Nolarity, we figured out that uh, small businesses can be acquired over telephone. So you don't need to go physically on to them because if your product is cheap or in our case free, then you can give a phone call. You can do some marketing uh, on SMS, WhatsApp, get interest, get on a phone and explain the product, get on Zoom, give a demo. And if they like it, they'll take it. Right? Why do you have to physically go? So that uh, when we started, actually, uh, there was a one, one uh, venture capital fund that told me, but love, what we're trying to do won't happen because the tribal knowledge in venture community is that schools have never been acquired at scale. It will not work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like most companies spend a lot on school acquisition. Like Exceed, Lead School will have like feet on street. Crazy amount. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so our, our philosophy is that, hey, get the school in, create a lock-in, create a moat around these schools. Because these schools are going to be very valuable in the future scheme of things. And if these schools have a structural dependency on you, then you will make a little bit of fair money. If you try to make too much money, schools will kick you out. But if you make fair money, uh, that relationship will last very, very long. And then as a platform, you make a lot of money because the money from a lot of schools adds up. So uh, 8,500 schools have signed up. Uh, what is the ratio of these who are actually actively using it, like, you know, properly using the product? So there are different degrees of uh, active. So we kind of get rid of schools that are, uh, so we lose some schools who are not active. But these 8500 schools are broadly in different uh, 
degrees of uh, activity. So some people will use only communication. Um, and then within that, there are grades. Some people will use us only for administrative communication, that school is open, school is closed because of whatever COVID or flooding. Then there are use cases where teacher starts using it, that is more active. Then there are schools that uh, are also using fees, for example. So different degrees of activity, but all these 8,500 schools are actually active schools that we have. Mm, okay, okay, okay. So what is your uh, plan to increase the engagement of schools on the platform? You know, like all these, it's essentially now you are, you need to think like a Facebook, you know, how Facebook, Instagram are constantly tweaking algorithms to make users spend more time and minutes spent is the metric that they're constantly working to improve uh, yeah. So basically, you have to get uh, more of the school on your platform. Uh, that is the plan in a nutshell. So first thing that we're doing is uh, we are bringing, we have tied up with a company uh, and we are bringing digital content uh, all over platform. So this digital content is, uh, is like a, think of it as a mini educomp. So they give a solution for smart classes, but the same content that the teacher showed in the classroom can also be sent by the teacher on uh, on the Euro app, right? Because uh, the how you send it is basically the communication module, but what goes is that same video that got played on the TV inside the classroom. And then, you know, of course, children start doing it. They start spending more time and all of that. So that is their, our learning programs are paid programs. Huh. But this is, uh, this content is accessible for free or is it for existing subscribers of this company that no no so we offer to our schools at a cost so we say hey instead of buying smart class solution from educomp or let's extra marks buy it at one you know a fraction of a cost one third one fourth of the cost from us and by the way it will also be shareable to the children so so that is the idea we won't make too much money doing this either but you're increasing the time spent that that metric is what you want to move right now. You know, smart classes used to be a thing 10 years back, but uh, is it still a thing today? Like, are, are schools still buying a smart class product? And like, It's basically like, you know, keeping up with the uh, Joannis kind of a thing, right? So because the other people are doing it, schools are doing it. Um, so it's very interesting, actually. When, when I go and talk to some of the better schools, what they say is that, hey, we have stopped buying content from other players. We were doing it earlier, but we have stopped it. When I talk to the uh, middle and the lower schools, they want to install a smart class and get some smart content. The reason is that uh, like you know, the market is evolving. The people at the top, they are figuring out that actually this whole smart class, there is no engagement, nothing. You... It's something random that is there, which gets played for some five, seven minutes in the class. It does not integrate very seamlessly to the uh, pedagogy. So we are checking out of it. Although they're still using the TV and all, but a lot of schools, what they started doing is they're letting their own teachers develop content, which gets showed in the smart class. They're not buying content from outside. I, I guess uh, YouTube has like pretty much eaten away that smart class market for the more sophisticated schools. Yeah, absolutely. People people are saying that why should I pay you money for this packaged? Like, it's like think about Airbnb destroying 
the the packaged hotels right uh, so they are saying that you know i've got so much variety to choose from on the internet why should i rely on one vendor for all the content my teachers can scan youtube find out the best videos and they will use that but again to be able to share that content with children what you need is a platform so that is what we provide hmm. and teachers can uh, create their own uh, courses like pick up a youtube video create their own quiz and send it to the class so they, they can they can do that uh, but what have, what is more common is uh, teachers putting a pre log or epilog kind of a thing and the way that works is they will let's say download that uh, video from youtube uh, on solar system and then the teacher will put a small 20 second bite before that and she will say hello children we learned about solar system today and watch this video it will t- tell you about the mars and the venus and mars venus is the hottest planet and all of that so she'll give some then with a photo it not then starts looking official uh, and then that combination will be sent <laughs> and the by the way teacher on this platform gets a report whether children actually watched that video or not so watching that video becomes part of the school's pedagogy that is how the school gets extended right doesn't this cost you money you are hosting videos now and you are not monetizing this right if, if someone is so this this digital this digital content piece we are charging schools so we charge 25000 rupees uh, per annum to the school for doing this piece and that kind of more no, this digital content you charge when you are providing access to that content or uh, if school wants to start sending digital content whether their own or whether through your library irrespective of you charge so what we do is uh, uh, if they are using our own uh, our content piece which we have kind of licensed from this third party we charge money but if this teacher wants to send a youtube video she can still send it that is free of cost actually for this and there's just a link you're not there's no server cost of that uh, link uh so link yeah so as this server cost of running the platform but that is very less compared to streaming it because we we'll still stream from youtube right but if the teacher were to record up uh, you know a pre log kind of a thing and uh, that will cost us money right so but that money in the bigger scheme of things right it's what uh, per gb basis uh, the cost of streaming is about 65 paisa so it's not all that expensive um, but at some point of time we should start worrying about it but uh, if we are able to instill this behavior in children today it's not a whole bunch of uh, money so uh, talk to me about monetization what are the different ways in which you will monetize one is like you have a annual subscription now 25000 rupees for this licensed content which uh... i think that's not monetization for us see what will happen is that uh, there are a lot of micro uh, monetizations that will happen on the platform and uh, honestly if you ask me i am not 100% clear exactly in what shape and form will it be successful but i can talk to you about what are the possibilities that are there so one clear possibility is that uh, you know the we are kind of helping schools become school plus right so there is a part of the school fees that comes to us for being that platform that allows the school to be school plus uh, then uh, the publishers who are on our platform and who were selling books for 200 rupees 
they increased the price of their book by to 250 rupees but their digital content which they already had by the way and nobody cared to see becomes uh, yeah because it was on cds uh, typically like uh, some random cd who we do not even have cds on the laptop these days right but that is the world the publishers are living in so now their content gets uh, on our platform nicely integrated so we get a small toll out of every book that the school is buying right and that this 30 40 rupees 50 rupees per child starts adding up so we think and the book will have like a qr code or something through which the content can get unlocked for the child who buys the book or something like that absolutely that all of that can happen right so that qr code gets resolved by us the content is with us uh, so all of those magic happens and then you can also at some point of time right if you're a publisher something that you can't do today uh, you cannot you can only sell to the school you do not have a opportunity to sell to the child but if the child starts using your book in the context of the school uh, there's a lot of data is getting generated around uh, what are the black holes for the child what is stuff that it does not know and then there could be other programs that the publisher has which could be sold on the platform so you make money by doing that you would rather be a scale player than be like a that is the there is the only only truth of internet businesses this is what i think i learned from no broker in fast fox do what internet players can do don't try to become a offline player with venture capital right that is not okay interesting so uh, essentially then you are building a distribution channel for edtech uh, for like education businesses let's just say that it could be edtech it could be a traditional publisher but for education businesses it's a distribution channel uh, like say an amazon uh, so every d2c brand today uh, needs to sell on amazon uh, because amazon has distribution or say zepto again has distribution so every d2c brand will want to sell on zepto so similarly every education business will want to sell on ulo to reach your uh, customer base like that would be the approach Yeah, so uh, we like to think that uh, Yulo as a company takes edtech to masses. That is what our uh, philosophy, our vision is: take edtech to masses. Uh, you know, right now edtech really, you know, can make a difference uh, in terms of new new ways of doing things, learning things. It is restricted to the top of the pyramid, right? Just because the price points are insanely high, right? We talked about white hat junior. Uh, if it becomes mass market, it becomes like like a thousand bucks for learning something it will become everybody will buy it everybody in india will buy edtech for their children and the proof of that is that 40% of india has chosen not to use free education by the government but to but take private take private education why will not take edtech right it has to be reasonably priced it should work with the school it should come seamlessly to them and then it will happen right sometimes the money will be collected by the school sometimes you will collect yourself so as a platform you make money by you know multiple places so you make money from all the participants uh, sometimes by school sometimes by publisher and sometimes by parents but that is the ecosystem uh, that you're powering mm. you, you would probably also be able to do a physical store like a store for buying physical products like say books and uh, so who so there's some things that uh, we don't want to do one of them is this so the, the reason for this is we think that see we never 
ever, there's some things that, that are never ever for us, which is never ever step on the school's toes. So any business that the school can do better than you, don't do. Uh, so the school can sell uniforms better than us, school can sell stationery better than us. So don't get into those business because then the school ceases to be a partner, it starts becoming a confrontational relationship. Yeah, so we don't want to do that. We want to uh, help school make more money uh, and be a platform to them. And if we are the platform, we'll make our money. Uh, and we're happy with 3, 4, 5% coming from the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about selling pure uh, uh, tech? Like say you have all these test prep, uh, an academy or uh, under 24-7. These are like pure online courses, uh, test prep. Uh, that also is something you would like to do? I think it will naturally, these are niche opportunities if you ask me. If you look at what pers- what number of people will be today taking these kind of things. He said these are niche markets, right? These are smaller opportunities. And um, I think there will be a section of people who will want to buy uh, something like a test prep solution. Uh, and it is not uh, unfathomable for us to also sell it. But this is not what we are about. If you had to get into test prep, uh, your way of doing test prep would be to somehow allow the school also to earn from selling test prep. Like maybe the teachers of the school are involved in running that or something like that. Actually, if you ask me, test prep is not school's uh, cup of tea because so the school is a journalist player. Uh, so think of it like this. Like we have got the uh, general physicians and then we have got the heart specialist, specialist doctors. So test prep is a specialist doctor play. School is a general physician. So that is how it will be. So, so the general stuff would be like entry level, anything school can teach. So entry level uh, chess classes can happen in school. Coding, maths, English. Everything. Chess, right. So if you have to do Olympiad grade, international Olympiad grade mathematics, the school is saying, boss, not my cup of tea. IIT grade, uh, test prep, not my cup of tea. But you want to teach abacus to grade uh, to LKG students? Yeah, why not? <laughs> But uh, test prep could be a good uh, source of revenue, right? Because, uh, I mean, it's a large market. Yeah, it is kind of, it's kind of chunkier. It is chunkier revenue. The ticket sizes are more, people are willing to spend more. But that is also a little bit of a curse for us because, uh, uh, you see, our value is to have the, uh, if I can say, uh, the most convenient place to buy uh, uh, things which are required, but they are not specialized. Uh, it's a very, very generic general stuff. So it's like, oh, I wanted uh, some math solutions. We said, hey, we have got math solutions. They might not be the best in the world, but they are aligned with your school. We know what is happening in this school. And they said, good enough for your child. But if your child wants to become like a IIT champion by learning our maths, we are not the right people. Because we are giving very general, we are general physicians. I'm just wondering if you have reach, why not use it fully? Uh, I mean, you could even, for example, run, uh, maybe you don't sell test prep, but you could be a place where uh, an academy can advertise. So, I mean, at some point of time in future, right, where the all of this that we want to do has is looking like it is happening, then having a business manager drive that, I mean, will happen, right? So like, just like 
we have opportunity to do uh, fee financing. We also have opportunity to do some of this stuff. But I think this is not the core to what ULO is. But if ULO becomes what... Right, right, right. Your core is to increase schools' revenue. Uh, like Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to understand your approach on fundraise. What's your fundraise philosophy? I, I think you raised about 22 and a half million uh, very recently. Uh, so w- what's the plan here? Like, So I think uh, if you are, what is that? <laughs> if you can raise, raise, um, because uh, it is it, for, it allows you to not be very short term about things. One is that. I think too many people worry too much about uh, dilution. I think uh, that is not the point from a founder's point of view. At least I keep telling it to a lot of people because eventually you will be left with a single digit in your company. Uh, it is and startup. You are the the risk that you are signing up when you do a startup. Right? People don't even understand how much risk it is, and it's good because that allows them to start up. But the reality is that. <laughs> the reality is that the odds are supremely low and every time you raise capital uh, you are able to get good people uh, you know build a healthy board uh, it reduces the risk it increases and therefore it increases the probability of a success and uh, if a founder were to make at the end of the day 100 million dollars versus 80 million dollars because he diluted one more time it does not matter i think he but the increasing the probability of that 70 80 million dollar outcome by 5x uh, that can be game changer so i think that was uh, one core advice that i would like to offer to people who are raising and that is my philosophy also that uh, if you're able to raise raise uh, i think the other thing is that uh, do things that you are passionate about because it will allow you to uh, you know, outside of what is hot, because what is hot may cease to be hot after some time. The investors can afford to be more fickle about their choices, but as founders, that luxury is not available. Once you get into a venture, you are there for the long haul. So get into things that you're excited about. Work with people who you have a lot of respect for, because there are going to be fights. Sometimes it might not work out. But uh, having mutual respect, complementary skills will help you, uh, you know, maybe manage those fights and hopefully not fall apart. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium.in. That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in.